0: Chapter 7 of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Thompson. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Chapter 7 The Serpentine River. In his way to St. James's Street, where the wine merchant lived, Sir Philip Baddely picked up several young men of his acquaintance, who were all eager to witness a trial of taste, of Epicurean taste, between the Baronet and Clarence Hervey. Amongst his other accomplishments, our hero piqued himself upon the exquisite accuracy of his organs of taste. He neither loved wine, nor was he fond of eating. But, at fine dinners, with young men who were real Epicures, Hervey gave himself the airs of a connoisseur, and asserted superiority even in judging of wine and sauces. Having gained immortal honour at an entertainment by gravely protesting that some turtle would have been excellent if it had not been done a bubble too much, he presumed, elate as he was with the applauses of the company, to assert that no man in England had a more correct taste than himself. Sir Philip Baddely could not passively submit to this arrogance, he loudly proclaimed that though he would not dispute mr hervey's judgment as far as eating was concerned yet he would defy him as a connoisseur in wines and he offered to submit the competition to any eminent wine merchant in london and to some common friend of acknowledged taste and experience mr rochfort was chosen as the common friend of acknowledged taste and experience and a fashionable wine merchant was pitched upon to decide with him the merits of these candidates for bacchanalian fame sir philip who was just going to furnish his cellars was a person of importance to the wine merchant who produced accordingly his choicest treasures sir philip and clarence tasted of all in their turns sir philip with real and clarence with affected gravity and they delivered their opinions of the positive and comparative merits of each the wine merchant evidently as mr hervey thought leaned towards sir philip upon my word sir philip you are right that wine is the best i have you certainly have a most discriminating taste said the complacent wine merchant i'll tell you what cried sir philip the thing is this by jove now there's no possibility now no possibility now by jove of imposing upon me then said clarence hervey "'Would you engage to tell the differences "'between these two wines ten times running blindfold?' 10 times! That's nothing!' replied Sir Philip. "'Yes, fifty times I would, by Jove!' "'But when it came to the trial, "'Sir Philip had nothing left but oaths in his own favour. "'Clarence Hervey was victorious, "'and his sense of the importance of this victory "'was much increased by the fumes of the wine, "'which began to operate upon his brain.' His triumph was, as he said it ought to be, bacchanalian. He laughed and sang with anacreontic spirit and finished by declaring that he deserved to be crowned with vine leaves. Dine with me, Clarence, said Rochfort, and we'll crown you with three times three, and, whispered he to Sir Philip, we'll have another trial after dinner. But as it's not near dinner time yet, (sighs) what shall we do with ourselves till dinner-time said sir philip yawning pathetically clarence not being used to drink in a morning though all his companions were was much affected by the wine and rochfort proposed that they should take a turn in the park to cool hervey's head to hyde park they repaired sir philip boasting all the way they walked of the superior strength of his head Clarence protested that his own strength was stronger than any man's in England, and observed that at this instant he walked better than any person in company, Sir Philip Baddeley not excepted. Now, Sir Philip Batley was a noted pedestrian, and he immediately challenged our hero to walk with him for any money he pleased. "'Done,' said Clarence. "'For ten guineas, for any money you please.' and instantly they set out to walk, as Rochfort cried, One, two, three, and away! Keep the path, and whichever reaches that elm tree first has it. They were exactly even for some yards. Then Clarence got ahead of Sir Philip, and he reached the elm tree first. But as he waved his hat, exclaiming, Clarence has won the day, Sir Philip came up with his companions, and coolly informed him that he had lost his wager. "'Lost, lost, lost, Clarence, fairly lost.' "'Didn't I reach the tree first? said Clarence. "'Yes,' answered his companions. "'But you didn't keep the path. "'You turned out of the way when you met that crowd of children yonder.' "'Now I,' said Sir Philip, "'dashed fairly through them, kept the path, and won my bet.' "'But,' said Hervey, would you have had me run over that little child who was stooping down just in my way? I, not I, said Sir Philip, but I would have you go through with your civility. If a man will be polite, he must pay for his politeness sometimes. You said you'd lay me any money I pleased to recollect. Now I'm very moderate. And as you are a particular friend, Clarence, I'll only take your ten guineas. A loud laugh from his companions provoked Clarence. They were glad to have a laugh against him, because he excited universal envy by the real superiority of his talents, and by his perpetually taking the lead in those trifles which were beneath his ambition, and exactly suited to engage the attention of his associates. Be it so, and welcome, I'll pay ten guineas for having better manners than any of you, cried Hervey, laughing, but remember, though I've lost this bet, I don't give up my pedestrian fame, "'Sir Philip, there are no women to throw golden apples in my way now, "'and no children for me to stumble over. "'I dare you to another trial. "'Double or quit?' "'I'm off by Jove,' said Sir Philip. "'I'm too hot, damn, to walk with you any more. "'But I'm your man if you've a mind for a swim. "'Here's the Serpentine River, Clarence. "'Hey, damn it, hey!' "'Sir Philip and all his companions knew "'that Clarence had never learned to swim.' "'You may wink at one another as wisely as you please,' said Clarence. "'But come on, my boys, I am your man for a swim. Hundred guineas upon it. "'Darest thou, Rochford, now leap in with me "'into this weedy flood and swim to yonder point?' "'And instantly Hervey, who had in his confused head "'some recollection of an essay of Dr. Franklin on swimming, "'by which he fancied that he could ensure at once "'his safety and his fame,' "'threw off his coat and jumped into the river. "'Luckily he was not in boots. "'Rochford and all the other young men stood laughing by the riverside. "'Who the devil are these two that seem to be making up to us?' "'said Sir Philip, looking at two gentlemen who were coming towards them. "'St. George, hey! You know everybody. "'The foremost is Percival of Oakley Park, I think, upon my honour,' replied Mr. St. George." and he then began to settle how many thousands a year Mr. Percival was worth. This point was not decided when the gentleman came up to the spot where Sir Philip was standing. The child for whose sake Clarence Hervey had lost his bet was Mr. Percival's, and he came to thank him for his civility. The gentleman who accompanied Mr. Percival was an old friend of Clarence Hervey's. He had met him abroad, but had not seen him for some years. "'Pray, gentlemen,' said he to Sir Philip and his party, is Mr. Clarence Hervey amongst you? I think I saw him pass by me just now. Damn it, yes! Where is Clary, though? exclaimed Sir Philip, suddenly recollecting himself. Clarence Hervey, at this instant, was drowning. He had got out of his depth and had struggled in vain to recover himself. Curse me if it's not all over with Clary, continued Sir Philip. Do any of you see his head anywhere? Damn you, Rochfort! Yonder it is! Damn, so it is, said Rochfort. but he's so heavy in his clothes, he'd pull me down along with him to Davy's locker. Damn, if I'll go after him. Damn it, though, can't some of you swim? Can't some of you jump in? cried Sir Philip, turning to his companions. Damn it, Clarence will go to the bottom. And so he inevitably would have done, had not Mr. Percival at this instant leaped into the river and seized hold of the drowning Clarence. It was with great difficulty that he dragged him to the shore. Sir Philip's party, as soon as the danger was over, officiously offered their assistance. Clarence Hervey was absolutely senseless. "'Damn it! What shall we do with him now?' said Sir Philip. "'Damn it! We must call some of the people from the boat house. He's as heavy as lead. Damn me if I know what to do with him!' Whilst Sir Philip was damning himself, Mr. Percival ran to the boat house for assistance and they carried the body into the house. The elderly gentleman who had accompanied Mr. Percival now made his way through the midst of the noisy crowd and directed what should be done to restore Mr. Hervey's suspended animation. Whilst he was employed in this benevolent manner, Clarence's worthy friends were sneering at him and whispering to one another, "Ecod, he talks as if he was a doctor,' said Rochford. "'Pon my honour, I do believe,' said St. George, "'he is the famous Dr. X.' I met him at a circulating library t'other day. Dr. X, the writer, do you mean? said Sir Philip. Then, damn me, we'd better get out of his way as fast as we can, or he'll have some of us down in black and white, and curse me if I should choose to meet with myself in a book. No danger of that, said Rochfort. for how can one meet with oneself in a book, Sir Philip, if one never opens one? By Jove, that's the true way. But upon my honor, said St. George, I should like, of all things, to see myself in print, make one famously famous. Damn me if I don't flatter myself, though. One can make oneself famous enough, to all intents and purposes, without having anything to say to these author geniuses. You're a famous fellow, faith, to want to see yourself in print. I'll publish this in Bond Street. Damn it, in point of famousness. I'd sport my random against all the books that ever were read or written, damn me. But what are we doing here? Hervey's in good hands, said Rochford, and this here's a cursed stupid lounge for us. Besides, it's getting towards dinner time. So my voice is, let's be off, and we can leave St. George, who has such a famous mind to be in the doctor's book, to bring Clary after us, when he's ready for dinner in good company again, you know. <laughs> Away the faithful friends went to the important business of their day. When Clarence Hervey came to his senses, as he started up, rubbed his eyes and looked about, exclaiming, What's all this? Where am I? Where's Battley? Where's Rochford? Where are they all? Gone home to dinner, answered Mr. St. George, who was a hanger-on of Sir Philip's but they left me to bring you after them. Faith, Clary, you've had a squeak for your life. pon my honor, we thought at one time it was all over with you. But you're a rough one. We shan't have to pour over your grave a full bottle of red as yet, my boy. You'll do as well as ever. So I'll step and call a coach for you, Clary, and we shall be at dinner as soon as the best of them after all. by jingo. I leave you in good hands with the doctor here that brought you to life and the gentleman that dragged you out of the water. Here's a note for you whispered Mr. St. George, as he leaned over Clarence Hervey. Here's a note for you from Sir Philip and Rochford. Read it, do you mind, to yourself? If I can, said Clarence, but Sir Philip writes a bloody bad hand. Oh, he's a baronet, said St. George. <laughs> and charmed with his own wit, he left the boathouse. Clarence, with some difficulty, deciphered the note, which contained these words. Quiz the doctor, Clary, as soon as you're up to it, he's an author so fair game quiz the doctor and we'll drink your health with three times three in rochford's burgundy yours etc Phil Battley. p s burn this when read with the request contained in the postscript clarence immediately complied he threw the note into the fire with indignation the moment that he had read it and turning towards the gentleman to whom it alluded he began to express in the strongest terms his gratitude for their benevolence but he stopped short in the midst of his acknowledgments when he discovered to whom he was speaking. "'Dr. X!' cried he. "'Is it possible? How rejoiced I am to see you, and how rejoiced I am to be obliged to you! There is not a man in England to whom I would rather be obliged.' "'You are not acquainted with Mr. Percival, I believe,' said Dr. X. "'Give me leave, Mr. Percival, to introduce you to the young gentleman whose life you have saved, and whose life though by the company in which you found him you might not think so is worth saving this sir is no less a man than mr clarence hervey of whose universal genius you have just had a specimen for which he was crowned with sedges as he well deserved by the god of the serpentine river Do not be so unjust as to imagine that he has any of the presumption which is sometimes the chief characteristic of a man of universal genius. Mr. Clarence Hervey is, without exception, the most humble man of my acquaintance, for, whilst all good judges would think him fit company for Mr. Percival, he has the humility to think himself upon a level with Mr. Rochfort and Sir Philip Baddeley. You have lost as little of your satirical wit, Dr. X, as of your active benevolence, I perceive, said Clarence hervey, since I met you abroad, but as I cannot submit to your unjust charge of humility, will you tell me where you are to be found in town and to-morrow morrow and to-morrow and to-morrow, said Dr. X. Why not to I am engaged, said Clarence, hesitating and laughing. "'I am unfortunately engaged today "'to dine with Mr. Rochford and Sir Philip Batley, "'and in the evening I am to be at Lady de la Corse. "'Lady de la Cor. "'Not the same Lady de la Cor, "'whom four years ago when we met at Florence "'you compared to the Venus de' Medici. "'No, no, it cannot be the same. "'A goddess of four years standing. "'Incredible!' "'Incredible as it seems,' said Clarence. "'It is true.' I admire her ladyship more than ever I did." "'Like a true connoisseur,' said Dr. X, "'you admire a fine picture the older it grows. I hear that her ladyship's face is really one of the finest pieces of painting extant, with the advantage of every grace which time alone can grant.'" "'Come, come, Dr. X,' cried Mr. Percival. "'No more wit at Lady Delacour's expense. I have a fellow-feeling for Mr. Hervey.'" "'Why?' "'You are not in love with her ladyship, are you?' said Dr. X. I am not in love with Lady Delacour's picture of herself,' replied Mr. Percival. "'But I was once in love with the original.' "'How? When? Where?' cried Clarence Hervey, in a tone totally different from that in which he had first addressed Mr. Percival. "'Tomorrow you shall know the how, the when, and the where,' said Mr. Percival. "'Here's your friend, Mr. St. George, and his coach.' "'The deuce take him,' said Clarence. "'But tell me, is it possible that you are not in love with her still? "'And why?' "'Why?' said Mr. Percival. "'Why?' "'Come to-morrow, as you have promised, to Upper Grosvenor Street, "'and let me introduce you to Lady Anne Percival. "'She can answer your question better than I can. "'If not entirely to your satisfaction, at least entirely to mine, "'which is more surprising, as the lady is my wife.' By this time Clarence Hervey was equipped in a dry suit of clothes, and by the strength of an excellent constitution, which he had never injured, even amongst his dissipated associates, he had recovered from the effects of his late imprudence. "'Clary, let's away. Here's the coach,' said Mr. St. George. "'Why, my boy, that's a famous fellow, Faith. Why, you look the better for being drowned. Upon my honour, if I were you, I would jump into the Serpentine River once a day.' "'If I could always be sure of such good friends to pull me out,' said Hervey. "'Pray, St. George, by the by, what were you and Rochfort and Sir Philip and all the rest of my friends doing whilst I was drowning?' "'I can't say particularly upon my soul,' replied Mr. St. George. "'For my own part, I was in boots, so you know I was out of the question. But what signifies all that now? Come, come, we had best think of looking after our dinners.' Clarence Hervey who had very quick feelings, was extremely hurt by the indifference which his dear friends had shown when his life was in danger. He was apt to believe that he was really an object of affection and admiration amongst his companions, and that though they were neither very wise, nor very witty, they were certainly very good-natured. When they had forfeited, by their late conduct, these claims to his regard, his partiality for them was changed into contempt. You had better come home and dine with me, Mr. Hervey, said Mr. Percival, if you be not absolutely engaged, for here is your physician, who tells me that temperance is necessary for a man just recovered from drowning, and Mr. Rochfort keeps too good a table, I am told, for one in your condition. Clarence accepted of this invitation with a degree of pleasure which perfectly astonished Mr. St. George. Every man knows his own affairs best, said he to Clarence, as he stepped into his hackney coach but for my share i will do my friend rochfort the justice to say that no one lives as well as he does if to live well mean nothing but to eat said clarence now said dr x looking at his watch it will be eight o'clock by the time we get to upper grosvenor street and lady anne will probably have waited dinner for us about two hours which i apprehend is sufficient to try the patience of any woman but griselda do not continued he turning to clarence hervey expect to see an old-fashioned spiritless patient griselda in lady anne percival i can assure you that she is-but i will neither tell you what she is nor what she is not every man who has any abilities likes to have the pleasure and honour of finding out a character by his own penetration instead of having it forced upon him at full length in capital letters of gold finely emblazoned and illuminated by the hand of some injudicious friend. Every child thinks the violet of his own finding the sweetest. I spare you any farther allusions and illustrations, concluded Dr. X. For here we are, thank God, in Upper Grosvenor Street. End of chapter